0: Chapter 7 The Witness of Scholars Ancient and Modern The forgotten orthodoxy of Irenaeus and Justin Martyr. It is little known that the earliest Greek theologians of the 2nd century protested against the unscriptural views of the intermediate state, which have become so entrenched in our theological systems. The idea that the soul can survive death in a disembodied form, fully conscious in the presence of God, and representing the real man separated from his body, was rejected by Justin Martyr and Irenaeus as a dangerous heresy. The following excerpts speak for themselves. Both writers championed the biblical doctrine of resurrection, against attack from Greek philosophy. Irenaeus in his Against Heresies Some who are reckoned among the Orthodox go beyond the prearranged plan for the exaltation of the just and are ignorant of the methods by which they are disciplined beforehand for incorruption. They thus entertain heretical opinions For the heretics affirm that immediately upon their death they shall pass above the heavens. Those persons, therefore, who reject a resurrection affecting the whole man and do their best to remove it from the Christian scheme, know nothing as to the plan of resurrection. For they do not choose to understand that if these things are, as they say, The Lord himself, in whom they profess to believe, did not rise again on the third day, but immediately, upon his expiring, departed on high, leaving his body in the earth. But the facts are that for three days the Lord dwelt in the place where the dead were, as Jonah remained three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Matthew 12, verse 40, David says, when prophesying of Jesus, Thou hast delivered my soul from the nethermost hell. And on rising the third day, he said to Mary, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Justin Martyr went on to say, How then must not these men be put to confusion? who allege that their inner man, leaving the body here, ascends into the super-celestial place. For as the Lord, quote, went away in the midst of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, verse 4, where the souls of the dead were, and afterwards arose in the body, and after the resurrection was taken up into heaven, it is obvious that the souls of his disciples also shall go away into the invisible place and there remain until the resurrection, awaiting that event, then receiving their bodies and rising in their entirety bodily, just as the Lord rose, and they shall come thus into the presence of God. As our Master did not at once take flight to heaven, but awaited the time of his resurrection, so we ought also to await the time of our resurrection. Inasmuch, therefore, as the opinions of certain so-called orthodox persons are derived from heretical discourses, they are both ignorant of God's dispensations, of the mystery of the resurrection of the just, and of the earthly kingdom, which is the beginning of incorruption. By means of this kingdom, those who shall be worthy are accustomed gradually to partake of the divine nature. As from Book 5 of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. Justin Martyr, Dialogue with Trifo. For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit the truth of the resurrection, and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who say that there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls when they die are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. Just as one, if he would rightly consider it, would not admit that the Sadducees, or similar sects of the Geniste, the Meriste, the Galileans, the Hellenists, the Pharisees, Baptists, are Jews, but are only called Jews, worshipping God with the lips, as God declared, but their heart was far from Him. But I and others who are right-minded Christians on all points Are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem, which will then be built, adorned, and enlarged, as the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah and others declare. That's from Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trifo. The Witness of Scholars. The words of these early spokesmen for the faith are echoed in our time by the remarks of Alan Richardson, who writes, The Bible writers, holding fast to the conviction that the created order owes its existence to the wisdom and love of God and is therefore essentially good, could not conceive of life after death as a disembodied existence. For example, they write, We shall not be found naked. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 3, but rather they thought of the future life as a renewal under new conditions of the intimate unity of body and soul, which was human life as they knew it. Hence death was thought of as death of the whole man, and such phrases as, quote, freedom from death, imperishability, or immortality could only properly be used to describe what is meant by the phrase eternal, or living God, quote, who only has immortality. First Timothy 6, verse 16. Man does not possess within himself the quality of deathlessness, but must, if he is to overcome the destructive power of death, receive it as the gift of God, quote, who raised Christ From the dead and put death aside like a covering garment as in 1st Corinthians 15 verses 53 and 54 it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that this possibility for man 2nd Timothy 1 verse 10 has been brought to life and the hope confirmed that the corruption of Romans 11 verse 7 which is a universal feature of human life, shall be effectively overcome. That's from Dr. Richardson's book, A Theological Word Book of the Bible. Floyd Filson warns us of the danger of Greek philosophy. He asserts that it has infiltrated our theology, which would therefore be condemned by the New Testament. I quote, the primary kinship of the New Testament is not with the Gentile environment, but rather with the Jewish heritage and environment. We are often led by our traditional creeds and theology to think in terms dictated by Gentile and especially Greek concepts. We know that not later than the second century there began the systematic effort of the apologists to show that the Christian faith perfected the best in Greek philosophy. A careful study of the New Testament must block any trend to regard the New Testament as a group of documents expressive of the Gentile mind. This book, the New Testament, its kinship, Is primarily and overwhelmingly with Judaism and the Old Testament. The New Testament speaks always of disapproval and usually with blunt denunciation of Gentile cults and philosophies. It agrees essentially with the Jewish indictment of the pagan world. That's from the book, The New Testament, against its environment. The fundamental confusion about life after death, which has so permeated our thinking, is well described by Dr. Paul Althaus, The Theology of Martin Luther, written in 1966. I quote, The hope of the early church centered on the resurrection of the last day. It is this which first calls the dead into eternal life. First Corinthians fifteen and Philippians three, verse twenty-one. This resurrection happens to the man and not only to the body. Paul speaks of the resurrection not, quote, of the body, but of the dead. This understanding of the resurrection implicitly understands death as also affecting the whole man. Thus, the original biblical concepts have been replaced by ideas from Hellenistic-Gnostic dualism. The New Testament idea of the resurrection, which affects the whole man, has had to give way to the immortality of the soul. The last day also loses its significance. For souls have received all that is decisively important long before this. Eschatological tension is no longer strongly directed to the day of Jesus' future coming. The difference between this and the hope of the New Testament is very great. A variety of biblical experts confirm our findings. The celebrated interpreter's dictionary of the Bible says, quote, no biblical text authorizes the statement that the soul is separated from the body at the moment of death. The Companion Bible by E. W. Bullinger on 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, it is little less than a crime for anyone to pick out certain words and frame them into a sentence not only disregarding the scope and context, but ignoring the other words in the verse. And then to quote the words, absent from the body present with the Lord, with a view of dispensing with the hope of the resurrection, which is the subject of the whole passage, as though it were unnecessary, and as though present with the Lord is obtainable without resurrection. In a book called Families at the Crossroads, Robert Clapp says, Following Greek and medieval Christian thought, we often sharply separate the soul and body and emphasize that the individual soul survives death. What's more, we tend to believe the disembodied soul has escaped to heaven, to a more pleasant and fully alive existence. We mistakenly envision the Christian hope as an individual affair, a matter of separate souls taking flight to heaven. But none of this was the case for the ancient Israelites. Martin Luther said, I quote, I think that there is not a place in Scripture of more force for the dead who have fallen asleep than Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 The dead know nothing at all, understanding nothing of our state and condition. And all of this is against the invocation of saints and the fiction of purgatory. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, in a sermon on the parable of Lazarus, said, It is indeed very generally supposed that the souls of good men, as soon as they are discharged from the body, go directly to heaven. But this opinion has not the least foundation in the oracles of God. On the contrary, our Lord says to Mary, after the resurrection, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Shirley Guthrie in the book Christian Doctrine, and this Dr. Guthrie is Professor of Systematic Theology at Columbia Theological Seminary. His book, from which the following is quoted, is known as a classic text. I quote from Shirley Guthrie, We have to talk about a point of view that, from the perspective of Christian faith, is falsely optimistic because it does not take death seriously enough. Because the position we're about to criticize and reject is just what many believe is the foundation of the Christian hope for the future, we reject it not to destroy hope for eternal life, but to defend an authentically biblical Christian hope. We're referring to the belief in the immortality of the soul. This doctrine was not taught By the biblical writers themselves but was common in the pagan greek and oriental religions of the ancient world in which the christian church was born some of the earliest christian theologians were influenced by it read the bible in the light of it and introduced it into the thinking of the church it has been with us ever since Calvin accepted it, and so did the Classical Confession of the Reformed Churches, the Westminster Confession. According to this doctrine, my body will die, but I myself will not really die. What happens to me at death, then, is that my mortal soul escapes from my mortal body. My body dies, but I myself live on and return to the spiritual realm from which I came and to which I really belong. If we follow the Protestant Reformation in seeking to ground our faith on, quote, Scripture alone, sola scriptura, we must reject this traditional hope for the future based on the immortality of the soul. Death, then, does not mean that the immortal divine part of us has departed to live on somewhere else. It means that life has left us, that our lives have come to an end, that we are, quote, dead and gone. According to Scripture, my soul is just as human, creaturely, finite, and mortal as my body. It is simply the life of my body. We have no hope at all if our hope is in our own inbuilt immortality robert capon in his parables of judgment written in 1989 has this to say i quote one last theological point while we are on the subject of resurrection and judgment perhaps the biggest obstacle to our seeing the judgment of Jesus as the grand sacrament of vindication is our unfortunate preoccupation with the notion of the immortality of the soul. This doctrine is a piece of non-Hebraic philosophical baggage with which we've been stuck ever since the church got out into the wide world of Greek thought along with the concomitant idea of immediate life after death, this false doctrine has given us almost nothing but trouble. Both concepts militate against a serious acceptance of the resurrection of the dead that is the sole basis of judgment. Another quotation from Professor Earl Ellis, in his book, Christ and the Future in New Testament History, written in 2000. I quote, The Platonic view that the essential person, that's to say his soul or spirit, survives physical death, has serious implications for Luke's Christology and for his theology of salvation in history. For eschatology, the survival of the soul represents a Platonizing of the Christian hope, a redemption from time and matter. Luke, on the contrary, places individual salvation or loss of salvation at the resurrection in time and matter at the last day. He underscores that Jesus was resurrected in the flesh and makes him quote the first to rise from the dead the model on which all entering into glory is to be understood an anthropological dualism did enter the thought of the patristic church the church fathers chiefly i suppose with the grandiose synthesis Of Christianity and Greek philosophy made by Clement and Origen. It brought into eclipse the early Christian hope of the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and the kingdom of God on earth. But it did not characterize the Christianity of the New Testament and can be found in Luke only if one reads the texts in Luke as those Christian so-called fathers did, with lenses ground in Athens. While death is not an individual fulfillment of salvation, during death one remains under Christ's lordship and in his care. But while the Christian dead remain in time, they do not count time. The hiatus in their individual being Between their death and their resurrection at the last day of this age is in their consciousness a tick of the clock. For them, the great and glorious day of Christ's parousia, or second coming, is only a moment into the future. The so-called intermediate state is something that the living experience with respect to the dead, not something the dead experience with respect to the living or to Christ. Those with lenses ground in Athens, numerous in Christian tradition, see a quite different picture. They posit that a part of the person, the soul, is not subject to a cessation of being And thus is not an element of the natural order, but that at the death of the body, it is separated to bodiless bliss or, in a variation on that theme, that there's a resurrection at death in which the physical body is exchanged for a spirit body already being formed within. But this would destroy the program given in First Corinthians 15 and many times elsewhere. Another quotation. Although they may have many traditional roots and attachments, such theologies have, I think, seriously misunderstood Paul's salvation in history eschatology. It is because Paul regards the body, as the person and the person as the physical body, that he insists on the resurrection of the body, placing it at the parousia of Christ, in which personal redemption is coupled to and is part of the redemption by transfiguration of the whole physical cosmos. The transformed physical body of the believer will be called forth from the earth by God's almighty creative word at the parousia or second coming, no less than were the transformed physical body of Christ and the originally lifeless body of the Genesis creation. An appeal. The difference between received tradition and the teaching of Scripture, we contend, involves the difference between truth and falsehood, between the teaching of the Apostles and the poison of Gnosticism. The effects of so widespread and fundamental a mistake must be detrimental to the faith. The authorities we have cited as well as countless others whose protest space does not permit us to include, show that what is proposed by our study is no private opinion, but one backed by responsible expositors of Scripture. It is surely time for the doctrinal gulf, which separates contemporary religion from the New Testament, to be taken seriously. It must be apparent that traditional theological ideas, however long they may have enjoyed popular approval, are not necessarily a safe guide to the teachings of the New Testament. In some quarters, a whole system of theology, including the belief that Mary is fully alive as a mediatrix in heaven, has been erected on the false premise that the dead... Are alive in heaven yet scripture says that David never ascended to heaven Acts 2 verse 34 that no one has ascended to heaven except Jesus John 3 13 and that the heroes of the Old Testament quote died in faith without receiving the promises Hebrews 11 verse 13 it is highly significant that the first recorded lie in Scripture was precisely in support of the innate immortality of man. It was the serpent, Satan, who declared, You surely will not die, in flat contradiction of the divine statement that you, the whole person, will surely die. Genesis 2 verse 17 it is utterly impossible to reconcile prayer to Mary and the saints with apostolic teaching, when both she and they are, in New Testament terms at present, unconscious, asleep in death, awaiting the first resurrection. You'll read that in Daniel 12, verse 2, and John 5, verses 28 and 29. If it's objected that the promise of an immediate presence in heaven is more comforting than the assurance of resurrection at the second coming of Jesus, we reply that it is futile to administer comfort from the pulpit, which has no sound basis in Scripture. Indeed, there are solemn warnings in the Bible That judgment will fall on all who do not speak according to the oracles of God. Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 18, and also verse 21 and 22. It is only by proclaiming the truth that the preacher can hope to save himself or his audience. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. And no doubt the latter, the audience, the congregation, will ultimately thank their minister for having told them what they need to hear from the Bible as distinct from what they may want to hear. It must be the duty of every inquirer after the truth of the Christian faith to take to heart the uncomfortable warning of Jesus that to worship within the framework of human tradition as opposed to reveal truth is to worship In vain. Matthew 15, verse 9. For those who approach God must do so, quote, in spirit and in truth. John 4, verse 24. We must give thought to the possibility that our tradition has obscured the central Christian doctrine of resurrection and indeed the biblical eschatology as a whole, including the gospel about the kingdom of God. To be inaugurated following the resurrection we therefore appeal for a re-examination of this critically important issue in the interests of the restoration of biblical faith in view of the recognized facts of church history our task is clear to purge our traditional teachings of the alien ideas Which were acquired soon after New Testament times and which do not belong to the pure faith of the Bible. Across the pages of the Old and New Testament the clear waters of revealed truth flow like a majestic river. It is God who only has immortality, offering to men And communicating to the believers his divine imperishable life. But paralleling this stream flows the muddy river of pagan philosophy, which is that of human soul, of divine essence, eternal, pre-existing the body and surviving it. After the death of the Apostles, The two streams merge to make unity of the troubled waters. Little by little, the speculation of human philosophy mixed with divine teaching. Now the task of evangelical theology is to disengage the two incompatible elements, to dissociate them, to eliminate the pagan element which has installed itself as a usurper in the center of traditional theology, to restore in value the biblical element which only is true, which alone conforms to the nature of God and of man, his creature. That's a quotation from Alfred Vosche, in his book Le Problème de l'Immortalité, written in 1957.